Come Holy Spirit. And uh, as I mentioned last week, the crux of the series uh, is to really tell, the, tell about the activity of the Holy Spirit through the lives of ordinary people. And we're going to focus on a different theme each week. And then uh, and each theme is going to follow the movement of the Spirit in four separate ways. It'd be in the life of Jesus, in the life of the disciples, in the life of the church, and then in the life of everyday people. Uh, and sort of how the Spirit is at work in our communities today. And so uh, as you heard at the beginning, at the, at the end of this series, which will, um, well... The, not the last day, but the, the Sunday after the last day is going to be our Miracle Sunday when we are going to just take a Sunday and, and invite anyone and everyone who needs prayer in any fashion uh, to come and, uh, and expect a miracle that's going to happen. So again, if you know someone or have someone that you can invite, uh, that would be great. We would love for them to come and to just pray for them and then to, to feed them lunch afterwards as well. So to begin this week, which is called As You Go, one of the characteristics about vineyard ministry that um, has been around really since the beginning is the idea that, this, that, that ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit ought to be naturally supernatural. Okay, And as I've been thinking about it, there's one element that we've always talked about, but I think there's a second one there as well. So explain both of them. So the first element is this idea that when we go to pray for somebody, we don't have to act unnaturally, okay? And by unnaturally, I mean we don't have to raise our voice, we don't have to wave our arms, we don't have to jump up and down, we don't have to do anything to sort of try to generate the Holy Spirit's presence, okay? The Holy Spirit's in us, right? He's there all the time. And so s simply by praying in a normal tone of voice, in, in just as a normal person, the Holy Spirit will then work. So that's really what this idea of, of naturally supernatural is about. The other aspect of it, though, as I was thinking about it this week, is the idea that when we are, when we think in terms of being naturally supernatural, it means that we're ready to do ministry at any time. Amen. Right? Um, because ministry ought to flow from us naturally. Okay? Uh, and so, sort of as you go about your daily life, in whatever that might look like, right? Whether that's work, or uh, going to the gym, or whatever, the opportunity for ministry is there all the time. If we'll just rely on the Holy Spirit to kind of tell us, okay, you see that? They'll highlight, you know, the Spirit will highlight somebody. And so then it's our job to then engage with them in some fashion, right? Maybe that, you know, they're limping. Okay, well, that's a fairly simple one. It's like, hey, I see you're limping. <laughs> Could I pray for you, right? Or it may just be that, you know, someone, you know, just, hey, you know, I felt like God wanted me to come over and talk to you. Is, is everything okay? And a lot of times, you know, if the, if, you, if the Spirit will highlight somebody, you know, you'll find out that, no, everything's not okay. Because, because you've had the love and the care and the kindness to ask, they will then kind of pour out their hearts to you. And so 
it's this idea that, you know, really just as we go about our daily lives, we have the ability to proclaim the kingdom of God and to demonstrate that power to anybody and everybody that we come in contact with. And so that's really what we're talking about today. And, and we're going to look at how that uh, kind of played out in the lives of Jesus, the disciples, the early church, and then um, how it looks today. And I'll read a couple of stories from this book again. So, first of all, let's look at the life of Jesus. And for that, we're going to look at, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, ninth chapter, verse, just one verse, verse 35. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Well, we look at that right off the bat, and apparently there was no illness that was too difficult for Jesus to heal. There's an earlier verse in, in Matthew's Gospel, going back to chapter 4, uh, verse 24, and it illustrates the breadth of Jesus' healing ministry. That verse says, And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So, can we find any example in scriptures of any illness, any disease, any malady that Jesus didn't or couldn't heal? No. And Jesus tells us that we are to what? To go and do likewise, right? Okay, so there According to scripture, there's no disease, there's no malady, there's no illness that we are not able to heal in the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I think we also see in this verse the threefold nature of Jesus' ministry. It was a ministry uh, where he was focused on teaching, preaching, and healing. Okay? And so teaching really shows Jesus had this concern for helping people understand the kingdom. Right? That's what he was going about teaching on. Preaching shows his concern for actually spreading the news about the kingdom. So those two really are different in the sense that teaching was probably going a little bit deeper in explaining. It's where he would tell parables to sort of explain what the kingdom was like. Preaching was more the idea of proclaiming the kingdom and just letting people know that the kingdom was here. And then healing shows his concern for, for demonstrating the power of the kingdom. Right, that the kingdom had truly come. And so these miracles that he was doing were really something that would authenticate the preaching and the teaching that he did. You know, so he's talking about the kingdom, and then he's demonstrating the kingdom and what it means and how it works and how it can come in power into people's lives. Another part of this text that I think is notable is that just Jesus did not wait for the people to come to him. Right? He didn't set up a tent somewhere and invite people to come and to be healed and to hear about the kingdom. Right? He went throughout all the cities and villages. He made himself available to them. I think there's a big lesson for the church there. See, I think far too often we think that ministry is done solely here in these walls. That if people want to hear more about God, they should come here. And if people want to experience the power of God, they should come here. 
But that's not the model that Jesus set forth. It's clearly not how he approached it. And it's clearly something that is not going to work in our culture today. Right? 20, 30 years ago, this place would be probably 70 to 80% full. Because culturally, people went to church. Right? That's changing. And there's lots of reasons that we're not going to go into all of that now, but you can see that that, has, that is changing. And so that makes it more important than ever that we have got to go to people. And so things like marketplace ministry become far more important because if you're out in the marketplace and you're working somewhere, you're going to encounter and be able to touch and talk to people that I have no chance to. I have no chance, right, unless they come here or unless I somehow meet them, you know, in a Starbucks or something. I'll never have that opportunity, whereas you do, right, in, in what you just do in, in, in as you go about your daily lives. And so I think that is, uh, it, it's, it's so important that we get ministry outside these walls. Now, we are doing a couple of things as a church to do that. Um, we are in the planning stages of a fall fest, uh, aimed primarily at kids uh, and their parents. Um, if we get the kids here, the parents generally come with them. And so we have the opportunity to talk and minister to the parents. Uh, right now, it's, we're looking to do it on October the 26th. So roughly a month or five weeks from now. Uh, we're going to do it on a Saturday. That's a Saturday. And we're hoping to get permission to do it in the parking lot that's up at the front of this whole complex. So that rather than doing it back here, we've got more visibility to cars just driving by. And, um, and so that's one attempt at sort of getting ministry out to other people. A second way is that we are going to have our prayer station set up. If you remember, we did it at the Strawberry Fair, well, train day in Ashland is coming up on November the 2nd. And so we're going to do that. At, we've already gotten permission, and we've paid for the privilege of <laughs> having a tent at train day. So we will once again have an opportunity to sort of pray for and touch people. So that's sort of what it looked like from Jesus' perspective, this idea of going out amongst the people. If we're going to look at this from the perspective of the disciples, We'll look at Matthew uh, a little bit further on in Matthew, where uh, in chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, where he says, where Jesus says this, and to proclaim as you go. Now, a little backstory maybe before I get into this. He's in the process of sending the 12 out, right? So they've been with him, been watching him. He's been modeling what he wants them to do. So now he's sending them out. So he sends them out with these words. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. And so the twelve are, are instructed to conduct virtually the identical ministry that Jesus has been doing. And that includes healing and exorcism, even to the point of raising the dead. So he didn't give them a pass on that. Yeah, well, that's Jesus' thing. No. He said, go do this. And, and you know, it must have been incredibly exciting. I mean, if you're one of the disciples, 
to be sort of commissioned like this, to be given that authority, and then to go out and actually see this thing, these things happen. I mean, how cool would that be? But you know what? It wasn't all, I guess I'm reading into this a little bit, but I think it's safe to say, Try this now. Testing. Oh, there we go. All right. Sorry about that. Yeah, they are. So, as I was saying, you know, you, you might read this and it looks like, okay, well, they went out and everything was great. Everybody they prayed for was healed and, and so on and so forth. Well, I honestly don't think that happened. I think Jesus knew this ministry was going to be hard and, and at times discouraging, and it is. Ministry is hard, and it is discouraging. And so I think in some way to motivate the disciples, he tells them, look, you need to remember you didn't do anything at all to earn what you have. You paid no price for it other than their agreement to follow him. And so he's telling them they had, for, they had received all this. Now it was their turn to go and give it away. And you find over and over again as we, as we minister in the power of the Spirit, that's part of this strange economy of God where in order to get more, you have to give away what you have. And that flies in the face of everything that the world teaches us, right? world teaches us, you know, to more or less to be hoarders, right? If we get money or we get power or we get any little thing, we're supposed to, you know, to hang on to that and not just give it away. But the kingdom, the, the economy of the kingdom works completely backwards in so many ways from the, the way we're taught in the world. And so in this sense... When we receive something, gift of the Spirit or whatever, we're to give it away. We are to just go and give it away, and that's how we end up getting more. And I think today, you know, probably because we all live such comfortable lifestyles, that encourages us to be hoarders of what we have. And it extends, in some cases, to this idea of spiritual gifts and the gifts that we've been given for ministry. 
And we've got to remember, just as he told the disciples to remember, we've got to remember we did nothing to earn this. Right? Jesus is the one who paid the price for all of this to happen. It's nothing but a gracious gift of God so that we might use it to further the kingdom. And so we've got to be good stewards of what uh, God has entrusted us to do. And then we look at the church. And for this, we're going to look at Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. And it says, After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Okay, well, this text actually sort of picks up on the theme that I was just talking about. Right? Ministry's hard. <laughs> You're going out in the midst of wolves. Um, now, one question that I would, uh, would like just to point out here. Have you ever read this passage and gone, you know, 70 is kind of an odd number. Why did he pick 70? Why not 57? Or 100? 100's a nice, even number. Well, if we truly believe that nothing in Scripture is coincidental, which I tend to believe, well, I'm gonna, let me rephrase that, I do believe <laughs> that nothing in Scripture is coincidental, or accidental or random. And this number was chosen with a purpose. And it's, it's a direct reference back to the Tower of Babel incident that occurs in Genesis 10. Because what you find in Genesis 10 is a list of the nations. Now these were the nations that were at least known at the time. So this is a list that sort of encompassed the known world. Okay, this is the world as we know it today. Right? Obviously, now, the list would be much, much larger. But at that time, it was roughly 70. Now, some translations will say 72. Um, that's a difference that has perplexed scholars for a long time. It has something to do with whatever translation the um, translators were using, whether the Septuagint sometimes has a different number because the Greek was translated differently. Um, so the difference really lies in what ancient translation or what ancient document was used for translation. But in either case, it doesn't so much matter because both numbers really are to reflect the totality of the nations that were in existence at the time. And so, just as God at that time scattered the nations, what Jesus is doing here is in sending the same number out, it's a, it's, a, it's a stake in the ground, essentially, where he's saying, okay, that time is over, the kingdom is here, and everybody is coming back in. It's time to reunite and be one again. And so this obviously was not something that the disciples could do by themselves, or these 10, or these 70 could do by themselves. Um, and that's one of the things that will stand out. Now we're going to look at a couple of other things first that I thought sort of stood out to me. And I think the first thing is that these disciples were not unique in their qualifications in any way. Right? They're not better educated. They're not more capable. They're not of higher status than any of the other followers of Jesus. He picked 70. 
right? The only thing that really equipped them for this mission was their awareness of the power that Jesus had and could give to them, and they were aware of the vision that he had to bring everybody into the kingdom. That was the, those were their qualifications. You know what that means? You all are qualified. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then secondly, even 70 followers of Jesus could not complete the task. So Jesus told them that earlier in the text, he says, okay, they want to know um, someone is doing something a little, I think, I can't remember the story exactly right now. But at any rate, someone is doing something in the name of Jesus, and the disciples ask Jesus, hey, do you want us to go tell them to stop? And Jesus essentially says, no, as if they're not our enemy, that means they're with us, right? Th that's, they're fine, just leave them alone. They're doing well, okay? So anyone who was in ministry who didn't reject or oppose them was considered to be fine. So now what he says is, you all need to pray for more helpers, right? More workers, because the harvest is huge, and we don't have enough workers to get it all in. And so that means, again, that we all need to be praying for more help. And I would encourage you to pray those words every day. Lord, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Would you please send more laborers into this harvest? See, the cool thing is, uh, when, you're, when you're in the church, there is no such thing as unemployment. No believer should be sitting back and watching others do the work. While I was listening to worship, and, and, and Chip was talking about declaring revival, okay? And I think that's a very good thing to do. But what the Lord impressed upon me as I was as hearing that was, it doesn't go far enough, right? We can't all say, Lord, bring revival. And then when someone says, okay, well, what are you doing from revive, for revival? Well, I'm praying, Lord, bring revival. That's not how it's supposed to work, right? You could, it's great to pray for it, but what are you doing about it? God's commissioned all of us. It's not about praying for others to do the work, right? No matter what, I mean, and, and I, I understand there are some people who have physical limitations, uh, health issues, and maybe praying is all you can do. And if that's the case, God bless you for praying, right? This is not an unreasonable thing. But if you are physically able-bodied, then you're ask, you're gonna, God's asking you to do more than just sit and pray, right? It's time to get in the game. And I think the third, and maybe the most important aspect of this text is where, he, where Jesus says, I am sending you. Jesus is doing the sending. 
This is not Jeff standing up here saying, hey, you all are lazy slobs and you need to do more. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that Jesus is telling these 70 translated to all of us, I am sending you. I am sending you. And that's good news because that means <clears throat> that we don't have to go out and try to do all these things in our own strength. It's good news because he acknowledges the fact that it's going to be hard. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Doesn't sound very inviting if you're a lamb. It sounds like you're going to be dinner for somebody. Right? Not a fun prospect to think of. But that is if you are doing this and trying to do it in your own strength and under your own um, agenda. If you'll go out and you're depending on God, it's a completely different story. And so that's the, the attitude that we've got to have, is that we have to trust and depend on God to do um, the work that uh, he has asked us to do. We just have to be available and make ourselves available for him to use. And part of that is, as I was saying earlier, it's getting out and it's doing, it's making yourself available for ministry in where you go on a daily basis. Now I want to read a couple stories from this book. And I don't know that I explained this so much earlier, but um, as I said, this is a collection of stories that, that have been cultivated from around the vineyard. These are all true. I mean, these are, these are actual accounts. Some of the names have been changed, um, but the accounts are all factual. So this is not a, you know, a novel of interesting things that Jesus could do. This is a book of testimonies, essentially. And so we have some that sort of relate to this, this topic today of um, as we go. The first one is called not by ch a not-by-chance encounter. Eric's job at a residential home for troubled teenagers required occasional overnight shifts. One evening, Eric was assigned hospital duty while a resident was being treated. Remember, remembering previously... Oh, man. Remembering previous hospital experiences, he went reluctantly. Okay, so stop right here. Here you have someone doing their job. Okay, he's at work. His sour mood turned even worse when a staff member hurriedly pointed him to a metal chair in between two curtained rooms. Thirteen hours in this spot with no TV? It was the last place he wanted to be. Eric sat and watched the ward abuzz with activity. It was at capacity plus one. Paramedics came in requesting an immediate transfer of the patient in the bed right next to Eric's chair. This was very unusual. After a quick call to another crowded unit, the unlikely transfer occurred and the extra patient was wheeled in. At this point, Eric became uncomfortable in his seat for a whole new reason. He watched such a rare transfer happening right next to him. Eric had a growing sense that it wasn't an accident that this patient was admitted. All right, what's going on here? He's got a nudge, right? There's something, God is speaking to him, and in, 
he's hearing this sort of internal voice tell him, this is not a chance thing. I'm in this, okay? God wanted him to talk to this woman on the other side of the curtain. He couldn't help but overhear the woman telling the nurse her painful story, battling a heroin addiction for many years and bouncing between sobriety and re relapses. DSS had taken her children away before. This time was her last chance, either get clean or lose the kids for good. Her fiance was also an addict, getting treatment somewhere else in the hospital out of her reach. Eric sat there absorbing this woman's desperate story and his hard heart wrestled with God. He even found himself getting angry. Why did he have to be stuck here? What could he even do about it? This highlights another aspect of ministry. It's generally going to be inconvenient. I'm just telling you the reality of, of the way ministry works. Right? It's uncomfortable, exactly. It's not going to happen when you're necessarily ready for it or when you feel good. It's generally going to happen at a time when you're tired, when you'd rather be doing something else, and God is going to nudge you. Okay? So, to pick up the story, then as clear as he'd ever heard, God spoke to his heart, Eric, I am in the business of restoration. The voice shook him spiritually awake. The word restoration burned forcefully in his mind, reverberating through and through. He began to see all the ways God is in the business of restoration, in this woman's family, in his own heart, in the heart of this nation. A gentle voice followed, melting away Eric's anger. I need people who are willing to go into the places that no one else wants to go. Are you willing? Eric sat with that question for a moment, then stood and nearly floated over to the woman's bedside. Excuse me, he said. I couldn't help but overhear you talking to the nurse, and I am really sorry. Would you like to talk about it? That's what I was talking about earlier. It's all you have to say. For the next hour, Eric listened as this woman talked about her life. He then shared with her the love <coughs> Jesus has for her and the promise that God wanted to restore her and her family. Right there in a hospital bed, she accepted Jesus into her heart and life. The Holy Spirit's presence was so real they were all crying, the nurse too. As they parted, the woman asked Eric, what is going to happen to my family? I don't know, he answered, but you have Jesus now, and he does incredible things for those he loves. Then there's the second story is called, Who is Rebecca? <laughs> the five-hour flight was a great chance for Ryan to get his introvert bucket refilled. Anybody else have an introvert bucket? Yeah? Me? I do. Just about every seat was taken except for the two next to his. Perfect! Headphones on, magazines in hand, no one to talk to. Ryan was in heaven. But then, 
One last passenger boarded late. I cannot tell you how many times that has happened to me. I've got the road to myself, right? And the next biggest guy on the flight gets on the plane and sits down next to me. And I'm like, really? What is up with this? Uh, let's see. Bumping passengers' heads with his bags, he barreled down the aisle all the way back to Ryan's row. The businessman ended his phone call with one more angry demand and settled in next to Ryan. Andrew! The man stuck out his hand over Ryan's magazine. Oh no, Ryan thought to himself, he's an extrovert. <laughs> his heart sank. Ryan, he replied, trying not to make eye, con eye contact. Hey, do you believe in God? Andrew blurted out. Set up? Oh, yeah. What? Ryan didn't do anything to indicate he was a Christian. Why would a stranger ask such a pointed question? He took off the headphones and closed the magazine. Andrew's eight-year-old daughter was fighting a life-threatening illness. Her suffering tore him apart. He was so angry with God, his anger almost spilled out of his pores as he talked and talked to Ryan, to Ryan who believes in God. But my daughter, she believes in God. She even goes around the hospital floor telling other kids about God and praying for them to get better. But God won't heal her. How could he do that? Andrew demanded to know. His faith was shaken to the core. Ryan kept listening as the businessman shared more of his own story filled with darkness and pain. Their back row became a confessional. Ryan recognized the holiness of the moment and God at work in the man's heart, but he wasn't sure how to respond. Eventually, a Andrew's anger grew to a fight frightening frenzy. Several rows of passengers could hear every bitter word coming from Andrew's mouth. Holy Spirit, help me now, Ryan prayed, at a complete loss for words. A voice inside replied, Ask him who Rebecca is and what her place is in his life. Such specific words. Ryan believed it was the voice of the Holy Spirit, but what if it wasn't? What if there was no Rebecca and, the, and he just sounded like a crazy person? What would the man do in his current state? It was like falling off a cliff, taking the risk to speak the words out loud. But he did. Who is Rebecca, and what is her place in your life? Ryan interrupted Andrew's tirade. In a split second, Andrew's animosity dissipated. He went quiet. <clears throat> Tears filled his eyes. His faith his face softened as he whispered in shock, How do you know Rebecca? Ryan desperately asked God to give him the right words. I don't, I don't know Rebecca, but God knows Rebecca and God knows you. Now who is Rebecca and what place does she have in your life? Rebecca was Andrew's girlfriend who had been trying to get him to turn to God and go back to church. In fact, he was going to break up with her as soon as they landed because she talked about God too much. The Lord told me her name because he wants you to know 
that he loves you and he knows you. God knows the battle you're in and he's right there with you. Descending toward their destination, they talked more about what God might be doing in Andrew's life. As they deplaned, Andrew commented, I started this trip not believing in God, but I may give God a chance. And you see, in both of those situations, the person involved could have ignored what was going on. It would have been just as easy for the young man to have answered Andrew and said, no, I, don't, I don't know anything about God. Sorry. It would have been just as easy for, I think it was Eric, to ignore that nudge and not get involved in this other woman's story. But in, this, in, in both cases, they were obedient. They acted upon what they believed the Holy Spirit was telling them. And you heard the difference that it made in someone's life. That's what it means to minister as we go. Right? They were both going about the business of their daily lives, doing what was required of them at the moment, and God interrupted and said, I have something for you to do right here, right now. And that's a choice. And I believe to my core, God is speaking those kinds of things to us all the time. If we would, but listen. And so you're going to be faced with the same choice that they were. You can choose to not say anything. And by the way, God will still love you if you don't. This, it, the love is not conditional upon us doing, you know, the things that he asks us to do. But he'll keep after you <laughs> until you do. And so my prayer is always that people will have the boldness to respond even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's a, the wrong time, even when you're tired, even when it's the last thing that the introverted you would want to do, which is to engage in a conversation with someone that you're trapped next to for who, who knows how many hours in an airplane. I get that. <laughs> Believe me, I get that. But if that's what God is asking you to do, and if that's what he's asking me to do, then we need to be obedient because he's clearly in this. All right, if the worship team wants to come back up. As we go into uh, this kind of final time of um, looking after the more of God, please don't turn the lights mm -hmm. off just yet. I need to read something. Um, I was reading uh, in Hebrews this week, and I came across something that I don't know that I had, I'm sure I had seen it before, but I certainly didn't give it the attention. 
And I think we all have had those experiences where, you know, we'll be reading and then something jumps out to us. And we're like, well, when did that get put in there? I know I've read that before and that wasn't there before. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's just that God's highlighting something to you. And so I was reading in Hebrews and I was in chapter 6. And uh, let me read verses 1 and 2. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about, about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And I read that and I was like, huh, when did that laying on of hands get put into that verse? I don't really remember that being there before. And here's the last part of that verse, just if you'd like to see. Well, we believe it's Paul, but we're not sure who wrote Hebrews. So we'll call him the author. So the author here is, what, look at what he's saying. The fundamental importance Okay, so when, you, when someone is talking about something that is fundamentally important, you could sort of look at it as a foundation. Okay, and he's listing six things here that are fundamentally or foundationally important. Repentance, faith, baptism, the laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, most of those things we're pretty familiar with. But that laying on of hands really jumped out at me because that's, what, that's part of what we want to do in this last part of our service is to, you know, to experience mo the more of God. And we've talked about that a number of times, that there is more. And so I guess what I felt, you can go ahead, Nick, and turn the lights out. Thanks. Um, what I wanted to, to really emphasize is that when we have this time and we ask uh, for people to come up if they need prayer for something, and it could be physical healing, it could be, as Chip mentioned, emotional healing, um, it could be the need for additional discernment because of some issue that you're dealing with at work or at home or in your marriage or whatever, you know, that you just need God's guidance for. But this is also a time when if you just need to know God's real, that he loves you and that he cares about you, if you want ad an additional impartation of, of God for ministry or for your own life, I encourage you to come up as well. Because as this says, this laying on of hands is, is a foundational part. And it's so foundational that essentially what Paul is, or the author, is saying in this instance is, okay, these things are of foundational importance. We don't, we don't want to forget them, but what he's going to go on to encourage in this book is that we need to also move beyond that, right? That we need to continue to grow in maturity. But that doesn't mean that we leave these things behind, right? You never leave faith behind. And so I just wanted to mention this as a way of encouraging people that, you know, if you just 
if you need, if you want that kind of a touch from God, that it's okay to come up and say, I just want whatever God has for me today. And, and then we pray and we see what God does. All right? So I'm going to pray a dismissal blessing now. Um, if you need to leave, you are most welcome to. If you want to stay and experience the more, then I would encourage you to do that. And then and our worship team is just going to continue to, uh, to play and worship, and you're welcome to stay and worship with them as well. So, Father God, I just thank you so much for your word today. The idea of as we go about the, the chores and the journeys of our everyday life, that you give us ample opportunities for uh, ministry. They're there all the time. And so I pray now that you would help each person here to be better at discerning your still small voice or however you choose to speak to us in a situation. Help us to get better at responding to those very oftentimes faint nudges that is really you telling us to go and talk to a person, to pray with a person. Father, I know that my prayer would be just like everybody else's prayer here. Lord, I, if you would only speak more loudly and more clearly, that would be great. But <laughs> the reality of, of our, our situation and the reality of your word says that's not the way it works. That it is sometimes a still small voice. It's an inclination. It's a hunch. And so, Lord, we honor that. And we simply ask that we would be better at responding to those things when they happen. Help us to step out in faith. And in doing so, to advance your kingdom just a little bit more. I pray a blessing upon all those who are gathered here that you would touch them. I thank you for the great love that you have for all of us. Bless them now until we have the chance to gather again. Guide their steps. We just offer you thanks and praise, Father. And we do this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Bless you all. Have a wonderful week. I could have some of the folks who are uh, um, able to pray would come up and assist. That would be wonderful. How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. Oh, we'll see how great, how great is our God.
How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. Oh, see how great, how great is our God. The splendor of a king Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps himself 